RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 399 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse, recorded live on Tuesday, February 5th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 8th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, we've got a long week ahead of us, so we're going to be keeping this episode a little short, but why don't you tell us what we've got coming up? Well, this week we're trekking out Sir Patrick Stewart's spoilers and the Discovery crew singing in cars. In our on-screen segment, we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 3, Point of Light. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. As we do every week, we'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. We've got an upcoming visit to Cryptic Studios, and that wouldn't be possible without the financial contributions of our patrons. We are celebrating our 400th episode on-site with Cryptic Studios, doing almost eight hours of interviews with various departments that develop the game. And again, without the support of our Patreon supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Now. As I said, a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but perhaps a little incentive would help? For instance, you can bet your bottom dollar that our patrons, starting at the $10 tier and up, will be getting uncut, unedited editions of our interviews with Star Trek Online developers as long as they don't cast an NDA spell over us. But I can't imagine that they would. So you can be sure that patrons will be getting that content as soon as it becomes available. Also, patrons at all levels get priority questions. So for instance, if you had a burning question you wanted to ask the developers, if you're a patron and you submitted your question, you'll be sure that we'll try to get that question answered, even if we send you a message off air and let you know that we asked the question and they couldn't answer. Speaking of the $10 level, a shout out to Ray for increasing his contributions. Now, you may have noticed we're not doing Stone News this week. That's because of our upcoming trip to Cryptic Studios. But in the meantime, be sure to mark your calendars because next Saturday, February 16th, we're having a party to celebrate our 400th episode and to raise money for Extra Life's partnership with the Children's Miracle Network and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. 
It's a 12-hour event starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The Priority One team will be playing games live on Twitch, and we'll have giveaways from our friends like the Roddenberry Store and more. Again, that's all happening on Saturday, February 16th, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern. Come have fun and play Star Trek games and help us raise funds to give children a fighting chance. And just a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please take a few minutes and fill out our listener survey. You can find a link in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO399 or pinned on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. Now, let's check out some of the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Sir Patrick Stewart's newest film, The Kid Who Would Be King, a reimagining of the tale of King Arthur, was released this past week, and, as would be expected, the 78-year-old actor has been doing a fair bit of promotion. But, as would also be expected, Star Trek Picard was a hot topic as well. Break out your favorite dipping sauce, captains, because we got some Trek nuggets! In an interview with Yahoo Entertainment, Stewart may have given us an episode count for season one. Quote, they are writing a 10-hour movie, end quote. That doesn't mean, though, that Picard's story will stop there. He went on to say, quote, we're hoping for more than one season, end quote. During the red carpet premiere of The Kid Who Would Be King, Stewart had more to say about the show's run, telling Red Carpet News, Oh, Lord, we are set up with possibly three years of this show, so... If there is a film, uh, it's a long way off. Sir Patrick also echoed the show's premise, saying, Uh, The one thing that will be different about this version of Star Trek is that we have simply moved the whole narrative 20 years from when I last wore Jean-Luc's uniform. And so everything has aged, and we are as... When the series gets released, you will see things are very different from what they were. When speaking with Yahoo, Stewart continued to say that the story was great and that it references a lot of themes from present day, but that, of course, it was not set in the present and that he was limited in just about anything else he could say. For a link to the article and the YouTube interview, check out our show notes. So basically, we got, we got it's a 10-episode series, and it's going to run for three years. How do you feel about that being a 10-hour-long show, Kenna? It's fine. It's fine. I will like it. It's, um, I don't know. It's complete conjecture at this point. I would prefer it was episodes, okay? But I, I can't, they I are. really Just can't 10 of them. say, <laughs> but I really can't say anything about it until we know a little bit more. If it's a, if it's a, I have, listen, I got things to do. 10 hours is a long time for me to commit, and I better get some payoff out of it. At least it's set in the future where we don't know what's going to happen, okay? I mean, we kind of know what's going to happen because we have Star Trek Online following on a couple decades later, but, you know, in terms of what happens to Picard, we don't know. It could end with his death. We don't know. You know, that's better than Discovery for that, I suppose. But, you know, we we don't know anything about it. (laughs) So, you know, what can you say? What can you say? Well, I I could say, can we just have it now? I just want it now. Like, I hate that we have to imagine what it's going to be so far away. You don't have to imagine, Anthony. You could just not imagine, which is what I'm choosing to do. (laughs) Well, here's 
so here's what's going on. I'm impressed so far with uh, what CBS is doing with its all access. Now, hold on. Before everybody goes, what? And moving on to the next story. CBS all access. The teaser to the Twilight Twilight Zone Zone that was... Was good. Yeah, that was pretty good. And, you know, I am pretty excited about Jordan Peele narrating and hosting this new incarnation of the Twilight Zone. I loved the Twilight Zone growing up in syndication. Okay, it, I, I just I did. I thought I thought the stories were nobody compelling, and it was just, you watched it, was it the first time around, Elijah. Yeah, nobody just, just, nobody just thinks you're that sure. old. Just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> you're like 15. <laughs> so, and then on top of that, you know, we're going to be getting more Star Trek, which is fantastic. Now, the others, the flip side of that is that I saw. Somebody I do theater with and made a joke about Discovery, to which I replied, somebody else, somebody I don't even know, commented about how disappointed they were that Star Trek was pay-gated. So, so there is still a large number of people that either can't afford those extra dollars a month or are not willing to pay for to, to watch Star Trek, which is a shame because season two of Discovery is how it should have started and you should watch it from season two and on. Can we, can we stop saying that it's pay-gated though now? Can we stop that now? Because it always was pay-gated. When it was on UPN, could you get UPN on terrestrial, like over an antenna? I could not. So I, I had it, to pay to watch Voyager and Enterprise. Yeah, it's all, it's always been pay-gated. It's just, a, it's just a different payment method. If you already pay for cable, it feels like extra, but you're probably paying $50 more an extra in cable than you were 10 years ago anyway. So I agree with you. I think there's still that resistance because it's like the perception of having to pay extra. But I think people are going to start warming up to it pretty quick, especially when Disney comes out. With the Disney Plus comes out, people are going to move away from Netflix and they're going to start thinking, okay, now I'm going to have three or four services. Eh, 10 bucks isn't bad. Well, I think also that CBS All Access is creating more value for that price with more original content. Yes, yes. And yes, that's yes. really the key is is it's not even so much oh I have to pay for it, it's what am I getting for what I'm paying for? And you now have, you know, almost two full seasons of Star Trek Discovery. You're going to have, uh, you know, a new season of The Twilight Zone. There's animated short films coming out for Star Trek. There's an animated show coming out. There's the Picard series. There's the Section 31 series. A year from now, you're going to have a lot more value for that money. So what's more fun than Star Trek? Star Trek karaoke. What's more fun than Star Trek karaoke? Star Trek Carpool Karaoke. The newest episode of the popular Apple Music show, Carpool Karaoke, well, it features stars in cars singing hits while driving around. And the newest one features Star Trek Discovery stars, Sonequa Martin-Green, Anthony Rapp, Mary Weissman, and Doug Jones. The quartet hit the streets of Los Angeles, California, and according to Billboard, sang David Bowie's Space Oddity and Casey and the Sunshine Band's That's the Way I Like It, among other hits. If you don't have Apple TV, you can still get a glimpse of the stars showing off their pipes. Dressed in full Starfleet regalia, Green, Weissman, Rap, and Jones, who donned the Saru makeup as well, sang a parody version of Rent's Seasons of Love. If you haven't seen it, make sure to check out the show notes. I just want to say that they got the idea of doing a Seasons of Love parody from us. Do you remember when we sang that on a live show? I'm just <laughs> totally saying, I'm just saying oh, somebody man. was watching the show they? and they said, you know what? That's a great idea. Now we have to do it. Well, it seems that marketing over at CBS gets their best ideas from the fans. 
look, I, I'm a theater guy, right? What? I, yeah. Never. Yeah. So the parody for Seasons of Love, I, yes, I'm going to admit, was a little cringeworthy. A little bit. A little bit. But you know what? It was riding off the coattails of the Fox Live version of Rent, right? So it helped propel Discovery into a different realm, right? Into, into, into a new audience, perhaps, to show that this cast is, in fact, fun. And, like, you know what? I think that if this was TNG, they, they would have done it. If they would have been allowed... The cast of TNG would have done it. I mean, after all, Patrick Stewart sang. Oh, the happy, the the song happy birthday song for Gene. Yeah, the happy birthday song, right, for Gene. So they had it in them, right? But it was a different time. Now this kind of stuff just goes all over the net, and I, you know, I can't help but go, yeah, good on them, good on them. I gotta say, no, cringeworthy, just a little. Yeah, bit. I could, I couldn't watch it. I started, and then I had to turn it off because oh. it was too like. However, I, I gotta, I gotta give props to CBS because this was expert level shade. Because so Fox is doing Rent Live. I don't know the timing of it, right? Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz were both in the film version of Rent and are great at it. So basically Discovery has the stars of like the film version of Rent and they it's total shade. It's like, hey, we can do we yes, can do yeah. Rent better than Fox can. Check us out. We're on a right, starship. Right, right. Sadly, it was quite cringy and I couldn't watch the whole thing, but I but I admire them for going there. I, I got to say, too, like that's like legit camera work and like directed and lit and everything like that was not like a hey, let's throw up our cell phone and do it. I mean, there was crew. There were crew members behind the, the camera for that. Right. That was something right. that had to be planned and done and not something that was just thrown together at the last second. So, I mean, you know. I, and in general, I think CBS has really stepped up their marketing game with Discovery this season. You know, Mary Chifo has been everywhere promoting this latest episode of Discovery that we're about to talk about. And I they offered the first episode of season two on YouTube for free to get people into it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a brilliant idea. So I think I think they're they're realizing where they need to sort of put their efforts in and 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 I'm happy to see that. I just wanted to point out that the the reins feel looser on the marketing this time around. If you recall back to season one, everything was just really tight-lipped, held very closely, and this time it's lots of promotion from a lot of different angles and it's fun. And since we're on the topic of musicals, uh, Mary Chifo was on the Ready Room mm-hmm. on uh, yes. CBS All Access. And behind this, she was talking about how behind the scenes, she and Shazad Latif and Kenneth Mitchell had already put together at least the opening of a musical episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm sure this is just in jest. Don't freak out. It's probably never going to happen. We're not going to get a, a Scrubs musical episode or anything like that. A Buffy musical but episode. But it's just... I, look, or Buffy musical I don't want to jump to conclusions, but, I, but, but Michael Giacchino, the, a composer for Star Trek, is doing one of the animated shorts. Musical episode? I don't know. So I don't... It, it's less about, oh my God, the, yes, they're going to do a musical episode. Or, oh, it could be awesome. No, no. It's less about that and more about it's great to see their camaraderie and their the, the the fact that they can be so comfortable around each other. That's great, right? That's great because in some Star Trek casts, 
PS9. You heard that it was like walking into a church. Like there was no, like there was no, you know, camaraderie until yeah, some people came on board and whatnot. Came so, out on screen too. Right. So you know, it's it's good. It's good that they have a relationship and that they do these fun little things, even if they get yelled at for doing things in costume. So I, I that's great. That's fantastic. Well, captains, we're on our way to Cryptic Studios now, so we'll be bringing you all that news in episode 400. But now let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Well, captains, welcome to On Screen, where we dissect the latest episode of Star Trek. This week, Star Trek Discovery, Season 2, Episode 3, Point of Light. Discovery receives an unexpected guest, Amanda Grayson, Spock and Michael's mother. Fresh from Starbase 5, Amanda explains to Michael that she was not allowed to see Spock, so she did the only logical thing. She swiped his medical files. They're encrypted, and Amanda needs help. At first reluctant, Captain Pike orders Burnham to crack the code after learning that Spock has been accused of murder. Some talk of the Red Angel and a little family self-loathing leads to the revelation that Michael pushed Spock away willfully, cruelly, and Amanda turns her back on her adopted daughter. On Kronos, Tyler and Laurel have problems of their own. Cole Shaw, Cole's father, is giving them fits, and oh yeah, Laurel and Tyler have a love child. The baby boy was conceived during Vogue's transformation into Tyler, born ex-utero due to Laurel's mission during the war, and has never met either parent. The aforementioned Cole Shaw learns of the baby, kidnaps him, and forces a meeting with the Chancellor and the Torchbearer. After a fair amount of stabbing, Laurel and Tyler are incapacitated by Cole Shaw, and Laurel's paralyzed hand is placed on the deed to the Klingon Empire. Before the usurper can finish his transaction, though, Giorgio enters with a host of cool weapons and drones, making quick work of Cole Shaw and his followers. The former emperor convinces Laurel to cut ties with Tyler and her child, and Laurel agrees in grand fashion with fake disembodied heads. Tyler, meanwhile, is recruited by Section 31, and the unnamed baby is to be raised in a Klingon monastery. Back on Discovery, Tilly is falling apart. Her spectral sidekick, May, is getting agitated, and the two have a shouting match on the bridge that only Tilly is fully privy to. Tilly and Burnham, both in need of comforting, discover that May isn't a ghost, but a spore creature. Meeting with Stamets, May gets angry, confusing the astromycologist for the captain. She thinks he's evil, and pleads with Tilly for help until Stamets, using the dark matter, pulls the creature from its host. The end. So let's talk about some of the Star Trek Easter eggs that happened in this episode. Um, one of the, the big ones was uh, the House of Moog. And let's remind people who the House of Moog is. Yes, um, one of the council members in the back behind Kolshaw in the first scene, and then uh, later on in the in sort of the 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 scene where Lorel is talking to you know all of all of the members, there is a, a woman, a Klingon woman, standing in the back, and she has the the crest of Moog of the House of Moog on her shoulder. The House of Moog uh, begat Moog, which begat Worf, which begat Moog, which begat Worf. 
Okay, and generally the Klingons in general, they was so because now that they're growing their hair out, which by the way it was super cheesy. And Burnham's like, hey, so now that the war's over, y'all are growing your hair out. I was like, we get it, okay. But um, I loved the smattering of all the different hairstyles because they had like all the different eras of Klingons represented. They even had the dude with the weird uh, the Fu Manchu mustache from like very TOS reminiscent. I wish Burnham hadn't said it to Tyler. I, ha- I wish she hadn't. It's a, just they need to stop talking, basically. But we'll get onto that. I wish she hadn't said it because the visual where they sort of panned to the different um, the different styles of Klingons, I thought was really effective as a fan. I actually thought her mentioning that was fine because she was just talking about she. They were just talking about Tyler's beard, like it was part of the conversation. I thought, like, however, I will say that. When when Georgiou shows up, she talks too much. Like that, there was a whole bit of exposition there that I was just like, I don't even know. That doesn't even make sense in the scene. It was pointed out to me that uh, Tyler's hairstyle, specifically the the, <laughs> the man it's bun, it's not a man bun. Yeah, but you see, it's not necessarily just a man bun. But but Is it, a it was magic pointed man out to bun? me that it it's harken, it harkens back to the samurai, right? The the a warrior cast, right? wrapping it up even though it's long wrapping it up and pre- always being prepared for battle i actually thought it was it was odd for him because especially they since they talk a lot in this episode about him trying to fit in and the fact that he's a source of stress for Lorel because he's different and all of that i actually thought it was a really odd choice for him to tie his hair back and i know that's such a minor thing um and maybe you know stylistically they designed it to make him look even more like human but I would have thought that in the growing the hair out that he would have actually let it grow and let, let it, his hair down. Yeah, let his hair down and made it more um, more in keeping with the other uh, powerful families uh, on Kronos. I was that was that surprised me because, yeah, it surprised me. Actually, can we just can we just actually focus on Klingons for for just a few minutes because yeah, because I wasn't paying attention to anything else that was happening in the story. And, and that was. More or less the point I wanted to make, I actually, so from the teaser trailers and some other things leading up to this episode, I was actually expecting a full-on start-to-finish Klingon episode. And uh, I was surprised, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say disappointed, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't full-on Klingon, Um, but it, it was a surprising choice. I think they could have very easily done a really nice start to finish just focusing on Klingons because the 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 family, the political drama that was going on there, I think was really meaty. There was a lot there and they rushed through it really fast. And then and then they tied it up using some really odd um elements. So they had um Darth Maul there with his like weird uh, energy weapon thing and then section 31 turns up and 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 cuts the whole thing off it it, it was a shame i th- i think they missed an opportunity to tell a really great klingon story um but they rushed it i actually have to agree i i felt that something about this episode was lacking i was talking about it with my boss actually there is a lot of gravitas to the way the klingons are being portrayed in this in, in this Incarnation. It's very Shakespearean. Yes, yes, yes. And so, uh, you know, I, I get it. We want to give the fans the, the service of, oh, what's happening with Spock? Spock, 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 Spock. But I agree. I think that 
this episode would have been much more interesting and much more engaging if it focused solely on on the culture and how the Klingons are reacting to the red bursts. The red bursts got a throwaway line in this episode, you know, and it shouldn't be. There should be, if in fact the red bursts are an omen, as as they point out, one of the houses point out, I think it it's Kolshaw, yeah. who, mind you, who, mind you, is also is played by Kenneth Mitchell, who played Cole, who blew up last season. Um, same actor. So Cole Shaw, the, the elder Cole, um, points out these things about the Red Burst. And I feel that that could have been not just a warring houses kind of thing, but a, oh, yeah, these are omens. Let's look at our study of what these Red Bursts are. How are the Klingons interpreting the Red Bursts? You know, is it, they call it omens, right? It, but are there scientists on, on Quilnos that are interpreting it? You know, something like that, right? We could have spent some time digging more into the culture than what we did. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think I don't think you can do an entire episode start to finish with Klingons. I think you need to have some of the story threads from the Discovery in there. But I do agree that it was a little rushed. And I don't disagree about like learning more about their thoughts on the Red Bursts. I think we're going to get that later on, but I think this episode was meant to get Tyler off of Kronos and back into the main storyline of the show. And in a little bit, I think we're going to talk about that baby because I think there's some significance to their baby. Why don't we talk about it now? We'll finish up the Klingons and then we can talk a little bit about um, Spock and Tilly. So if if you're a Star Trek fan and you've watched a lot of other Star Trek, it's quite possible we've seen this character before in the Deep Space Nine episode Blood Oath as the albino who seeks to enact his revenge upon the firstborn sons of Kor, Koloth, and Kang, one of which uh, Kang's son was named after Curzon Dax, and Kor's son was also killed by this albino. Blood Oath is about them going back after the albino because of what he did. And so a lot of a lot of people have been talking that this child is the albino because timeline-wise it matches up. It's actually causing me to read this uh, Star Trek novel, uh, Star Trek Excelsior Forged in Fire, which recounts the events, starts shortly after Dax is killed, and it has... Uh, Kang, Kor, Koloth, Curzon Dax, and Hikaru Sulu all investigating the albino. So Jamal Taylor in the chat is pointing out that to have the baby end up being the albino is a little out of time. So by the time we see in Deep Space Nine, right, the three Klingons, right, who were also in the original series are young men at that point and the albino was somebody that they were chasing even then so that's to suggest that the albino was roughly around the same age as cole core and uh, mm-hmm. um yep. what's his face so the baby may not be the albino he'd be a hundred years old i think which in blood oath they say he's a hundred years old oh do they yes they point that out all right he killed Cole, the the three klingons on d space nine he killed their Correct. firstborn. 
So what? He killed him at at what age? So if if you go by the novel, which I know is not hard canon, but it places it places the first murder of Kang's son Dax in twenty two ninety five, which is forty years from this episode, and it places it places the albino roughly ten years younger than Core Kang and Koloth, roughly. Yeah, but but if he's ten, yeah, but hold on a second because Cole Kang and Koloth show up in TOS as older no, they're, men. They're like in their mid twenties, late twenties. And then they're a hundred they're over a hundred years old in Deep Space Nine. So here's my theory. Here's my theory. Is so there in, in Deep Space Nine it's he's strictly a hundred years well, old? I no, they they mentioned that he's over a hundred years old. I don't know what the exact line is, right. but they reference that he's So you know what? I'm gonna postulate and here's another theory I'm going to throw at you guys. That Ash Tyler reverts back to Volk because his baby gets murdered. And then he re- seeks revenge on the firstborn of all these other Klingons. The Klingons currently, right, the, the like the Cole, Cole, the House of Cole, Cole Shaw, whatever, they find... It's the House of Kor. Cole of the House Kor. No, no. Cole, Cole and Cole Shaw are of, of the Kor, House the of House, Kor. Okay. So the theory, yeah. my theory is that the House of Core, right, find the baby in the monastery and end up killing it. And Tyler finds a way to revert back to his Volk state and then completely wreak havoc on the, on the Klingon Empire. So you think that Volk is the albino? I think that Volk, yeah. Like, remember how in season one we were like, oh, the albino, he must be the same one from Deep Space Nine. I think he still is. I don't think it's his baby. I don't think it's that child that we see in this episode. I think that that child will end up being murdered, being discovered and murdered, and Ash Tyler loses it. You know, I bet I bet that, that Laurel also gets murdered. Ash Tyler loses it, reverts back, you know, finds a way to be surgically put back as Klingon, and ends up becoming the albino that we know in Deep Space Nine, reeking, ser- searching, getting revenge on everybody he can. I don't think the drama in this series is going to focus around Klingons. I think that the drama, I mean, I think there will be enough to keep you going for people who are fans of Klingons. I think we will see the Klingons evolve and change as we go through the series. But the drama is going to be around Spock and Burnham. And if we see the Klingons do anything, it will be in a supporting role that aids that storyline. And I don't think we're going to see the whole Klingon thing the way we did in season one. I think we're done with that now. And can I just say, wouldn't it be great if every season Kenneth Mitchell plays a Klingon I would, I would be okay with that. <laughs> that would be That rad. would be great if just like the running joke is Kenneth Mitchell dies in the first few episodes of every well, season. Um, so can we just quickly go on to um, the whole Spock issue? And I don't I don't want to get into it too deep, but there is a lot of rewriting of Spock's history going on in this episode. Um, a lot of filling in uh, details about um, about um, his relationship with his mother and his relationship with Burnham um, that I was not that okay with. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm finding it difficult to figure out how we're going to get from this portrayal of Spock as a deeply troubled and traumatized individual into somebody who, you know, has his issues that we see, you know, later on, but generally speaking is a pretty stable individual. I'm struggling to figure out how they're going to let this all play out without ultimately ending up brushing some very serious mental trauma under the rug. I don't, I mean, I don't think they're rewriting anything because there's, like we've never known anything about this 
part of his life. I think that I, I'm also anxious to see how they get from where they are to to TOS. But I think that they're pulling from a lot of little things. Like the whole thing about him being connected to the dots and the angels reminds me of his of his connection with with V'ger. No, with V'ger. Like he, you know, he senses V'ger way out in space before and it, it, it he stops the Kolinar because of it. So, it, you know, it almost makes that make more sense if he's had this connection with the universe in general that he's able to sense V'ger at some point because I always thought that was weird and this actually helps me make sense of that and the other thing is that he never he never talks about his family to Kirk you know we know that from from the journey to Babel so I think that that this is explaining why that is and I think that if I were traumatized, I wouldn't want to talk about my family. Either. I mean, and the other thing, too, is that Spock clearly has mommy issues. I mean, and we've seen that throughout every incarnation of Star Trek, right? You know, in TOS and onward, right? He has parental issues. He has problems with his parents. He loves his mother for sure, but he's got mommy and daddy issues that, that you know, have never really been have been addressed in passing, right? But to Kenna's point is, I think, Kenna, if I understood what you're saying correctly, is that in terms of the writing of this episode, yeah, all right, fine, give him, give him some sort of debilitating mental trauma, but don't brush it under the rug at the end and be like, oh, well, now it's the Spock we love, we all know and love. I'm just, I'm just finding it hard to believe that the Spock that we have seen already uh, is actually bearing some kind of horrible mental trauma that we never find out about. It's I think it's unrealistic even for a Vulcan who I completely acknowledge is a made-up race of people. Um, <laughs> Kenna's like, damn it, Vulcans don't do that. <laughs> um, the other the the other big th- uh, theme that we saw because we really saw there's three different there's three different plots in this was Tilly. And her friend May. <laughs> silly Tilly. I, silly, silly Stilly. Um, I I am honestly not sure what to think. For for me, it was kind of vaguely interesting, but it's just kind of a thing that happened and was ultimately incredibly frustrating. I wish they'd saved it um, for another episode and maybe told it a little bit better. I loved the scene on the bridge where Tilly is trying to hold it all together and ultimately ends up just shouting at the captain everyone thinks at the captain i thought that that whole scene was beautifully played and you really felt tilly's like complete desperation in that in that scene and i thought it was great i just thought again like the um the klingon piece they really um cut it short when that could have i wanted more from that than we got you you bring that up and and i had completely forgotten about that that there were three essentially three different stories in this in this episode which I go back and now agree even more with you that that this episode should have been either Klingon and Tilly or Klingon and Burnham, and that's it. And perhaps Klingon and Burnham, right, and Burnham's dealing with Spock because she contacts Tyler, right? That's the connection there. That's why we do the cut back and forth. But, you know, this whole time I was thinking that this – this May was, in fact, the Iconian, right? And then, no, oh, it's just a, it's just a parasite. It's just fungus. Yeah, it was a, it was a C plot that should not have been a C plot. 
Not if they're going to be building up Mary Wiseman's character this much, especially after episodes one and two. So first off, Mary Wiseman's performance in this episode was amazing. She was incredible. I've watched this episode three times and I find more and more respect for her performance in this in this it really she does an amazing job i'm starting to see that every episode is has three narrative plots they have three threads that they're going through every single episode is doing this they're weaving they're weaving these three stories in and out which is fine the first two episodes it it worked it worked pretty well and i'm going to agree with you in this episode i don't think it worked as well but in weaving these three story threads like I'm sure by the end of it, I'll appreciate the way that they all connect. But as a standalone one-week episode, a lot of the stuff didn't work for me either. It was like that awkward Star Trek Online mission. <laughs> yeah. So let's have some final thoughts about after the third episode. Where's your opinion on it? What do you think is going to be the, uh, the, the most important thing coming up for you? Anthony, let's start with you. Oh, gosh. So the biggest the biggest takeaway for me was this sort of rift in Amanda and Michael's relationship. I did not see that coming. I was a little bit surprised. Um, I think that the revelation that Burnham pushed Spock away makes sense. Her reasoning was sound, but I think that she she probably shouldn't have done that. And I think that, that that's going to be a main component of this, of this story and this relationship between... Um, uh, Michael and and Spock and I, and I am looking forward to that. I really want them to get on screen together and to really flesh this out uh, is what I'm 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 hoping happens sooner rather than later. Guys, the doctor that's taking care of Spock is Latino and made fun of Pike for using the screen because it's like his abuela. That was awesome. <laughs> and and he didn't die in this and episode. So clearly it wasn't a Deep Space Nine episode. So yeah, um that was fun. That was fun. I you know, get, come on, my captain's Latino. Let's 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 bring a Latino forward here. Come on, seriously. Um Can I point out that also in that conversation, Captain Actual Pike said Starfleet declared my mission priority one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta pull that audio. <laughs> So, you know, ultimately, um, like you, Kenna, I, I think that there was too much going on and more time needed to have been given to spotlight how Shakespearean this Klingon culture is, how regal it is. I would have rather have had two plots instead of one. And, you know, to my point last week, let's make sure that the Red Bursts and the Red Angel is is the is the driving force of this episode of this season right that's what we've been led to believe let's maintain that and i felt that this episode dropped the ball a little bit it was like oh by the way the red burst oh and let's not forget the red burst um it was a little too fan servicey for me and i i whereas the last two episodes didn't feel fan service to me they felt like good storytelling that happened to be about star trek yeah, I'm I, I'm kind of with you guys that you know this didn't light a fire under me. I don't I don't dislike Discovery so far. I this episode didn't really change my current opinion of it, which largely is that they're just trying a little too hard. Um, I would like to see them scale back the dialogue, and I would like to see them simplify the story a little bit because I actually think there's some really great story concepts here that they're touching on that they're not giving enough space to really flourish. 
So um, I'm hoping that's like, you know, early season jitters, maybe. I know we're going to see a change in the writing staff coming up, and maybe we'll see a little bit more of a relaxed style once we get past the first few episodes. Uh, We'll see. Um, But on the whole, it's fine. That's it for this week's On Screen. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 398's first community question was... Would you want to see James McAvoy as a young Picard in the upcoming series? Would you like to see someone else in a young Picard role? Or would you like the series to remain focused on an aged Picard? Hi, Priority One. James McAvoy would be a wonderful piece of casting for the new Picard series. And did you see the story where they were planning out the three seasons of the show? That means they could film all of James' scenes together, and that would probably help with the costs and logistics of getting such a marquee actor. But what if they don't get James? Who else could he get? Let me throw a name into the hat. David Birkin. Now, I know what you're thinking. David who? David Birkin played the young Picard in the Next Generation episode Rascals. Can he act? I don't know, so he definitely needs to audition for the part, but would be pretty sweet if he could reprise his role after 25 years. So he said James Birkin, which I think is the actor. I think it's David Birkin. David Birkin. Mm-hmm. So he says David Birkin, who I believe is the act. Yeah, he says is the actor that plays young Picard in, in um, when they all get. Oh, wait, when they all get shrunk, right? Rascals. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah, in Rascals. Rascals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, but he also plays. He also plays his nephew mm-hmm. later on in uh yep. after best of both, both worlds so that that renee so um well yeah he played renee first idea. and then he played picard yeah so i don't know i who knows what what's up with that actor what's going on with him um i was actually just looking him up on imdb and he he's still working so he's got um a bunch of film credits um not anything that i particularly recognize he was in hornblower one of the tv movies and a few other things like that. Um, I'm trying to see where he's from. He sounds French. He's the nephew of Jane Birkin and the cousin oh. of Charlotte Gainsbourg. So there you go. Well, that would be interesting. He plays a young Picard back in the day. I wonder if he would be able to uh, measure up. Thanks for the feedback, Hayden. Thanks for the voicemail, Captains. Don't forget that you, too, can leave us an audio message by either emailing it to us. Everybody's got a phone. You can send a memo message to us Mm -hmm. to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or you can click on our SpeakPipe widget right on our website. Next up from Patreon, Shane Hoover says, I can't see McAvoy in this show without being a distraction, really. If there are scenes from Picard's youth, they must be short and inform the real story with older Picard. The last thing it needs is to get hung up on giving an actor screen time. Uh, which, which I actually think I agree with. Um, I think putting James McAvoy in that role for realsies would actually be quite a distraction. From Facebook, Pot Pie Belly Flop says, I wouldn't be mad at James McAvoy portraying a young Picard, but is he the best choice? There are thousands of young actors out there. I'd prefer they found someone new, unknown. Hashtag risky business. 
I really think that if they were going to do that, if they were going to go with a young Picard, they would find somebody new and unknown because this, they've got a star uh, and they don't need to be um, bringing in another guest star to be the younger version of their full star. It's, it, you wouldn't want to take the focus away. I think the only way that it would work with James McAvoy is if like it was an entire it was like one episode that focused on young Picard because then you could do it. It would it would it would be a majority of him on the screen. It wouldn't be too distracting because he is supposed to be the focus. And then they move on. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's the only way I think it could work. Yeah. Yeah. Episode 398's second community question was, what do you think of the Mirror of Discovery episodes? And did you enjoy the debut of Captain Killy in Star Trek Online? From Patreon, Shane Hoover writes in, I liked the new Mirror of Discovery episodes, especially the Pavo Ground episode, which is one of the most beautiful maps they've ever made. May Wise continues to be utterly charming, even while being killy. I can't wait for Rekka Sharma to join us. Now, I have a question, because I have not played the Mirror of Discovery episodes yet. I'm waiting for it to come out on console. Um, how does the Pavo ground map compare to Iconia? Because Iconia is still one of the be- most beautiful maps I ever saw. I would almost say it's more beautiful, the Pavo <sighs> one is. <sighs> okay. It's really well. It's that. I'll be honest with you. That whole, the Pavo system in space and the ground map are just uh, gorgeous. They're, they're like nothing I've seen in the game before. So what, but have you done the new, have you done the Iconia map since the lighting update? Yeah. I, cause yeah. Cause that mission has a, a, a really good piece of gear that every character needs. So I always, I've, I've run it. I run it like once a month. What piece of gear is that? So that Iconian mission, the episode Midnight, uh, grants you the soul defense gear set. So the deflector array, the impulse engines, and the covariant shield. That really is the best set uh, outside of the like reputation stuff. Like if is you want, is that ground or space? No, it's space. It's space. So if you if you want a nice good starting point like to get your character geared up when it's level budget 60. Build. Yeah, a really good budget build. This is a great set to start with and then as you progress through the reputation systems um, or or the crafting system depending on what your build requires, you uh, you at least have something that'll get you through the um, the TFOs. And finally from Twitter, Ken from Chicago says, hashtag silly for Killy, even more than Tilly. More Captain Killy, please. Mary Wiseman nailed it. Well, that wraps up episode 399 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know that we love to hear from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. 
Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And just a friendly reminder to our patrons, be sure to keep an eye on the Patreon page over at patreon.com forward slash priority one because we will be using Patreon Lens as we are live at Cryptic Studios. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, and our old friends of the show, Skiffy and Winters. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in writing our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su-no! Engage! Sounds French. He's the nephew of Jane Birkin, and the cousin oh. of Charlotte Gainsbourg. So, well, there you go. Yeah, that you know, that's that's <laughs> that's a possibility. He played a young Kirk back in the day, but uh, young Picard also. Well, he played a young Cisco back in the day. He <laughs> 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 played a young Jane way so back in the day. <laughs> so long. Played a young Archer back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Look at you, Elijah, gatekeeping Anthony on his on his gaming knowledge. <laughs> it would have been better had he spent the time to research it and said, "You know what, El- Elijah, Elio? You know what, Elijah? <laughs> I don't let me, call you that. 